Thank you, worship team. Let's just take a moment to uh, just meditate and pray together on that great name we were just thinking about. So just take a moment of quiet and pray and worship in your spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus, even in this brief moment of quiet, would you hear the cries of each and every heart in this room? Holy Spirit, would you move in power and impact our lives today? Through all the truths we've been singing about already, through the word of testimony that was given so powerfully, and Lord, now through your word, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would teach us, that you would lead us. Oh, Lord God, encourage Bridgeway Community Church to rise up and be the church that you are calling them to be. And Lord, we know that is only possible by your great name, by your great power. So pour out in power, Holy Spirit. Fill each one. Give us your hope. We worship you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning again. Bridgeway Congregation. I was so excited before that uh, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Don Fraze. I serve here as a transitional pastor. And hey, welcome. And if you're a guest or visiting with us today, special welcome to you. Great to have you be a part of our service today. We are in the midst of a series um, as we are in this year of transition, this is a series that you can see is called Healthy Church, Biblical Church. And through this series, we want to help you as a congregation kind of understand where we're going and hopefully give you some biblical ideas and thoughts and teaching on how we get there together. So that's kind of the basis of this. So, so just a, a little bit of review from the slides you've been seeing every week as we're into week four now. Um, the whole premise of this comes from two of Jesus' commands. And those commands are the great commandment and the great commission. And we've read them every week. But when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest law? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, known as the great commandment. And then just before Jesus left this earth, he gave what is famously called the great commission. And that's what you see there in Matthew 28. When Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So really, this is the biblical foundation of our call, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, our neighbor as ourselves, and to make disciples. And so you be the discerners. If any, when we start to talk about our mission and our vision and our values and our discipleship steps and all those things you're going, all that pastor mumbo-jumbo probably is what you're thinking. However, if that is not based on scripture and on these great commands of Jesus, then it is mumbo-jumbo. But what we do want to do is help equip you, empower you, and encourage you as a church to not, for us to not just have ideals of where we want to go, but to actually have steps and strategy in where we want to go. But this is what it's all about. And I just want you to see this every week so you know this is the foundation it's got to be built on. So you see our overall purpose. You see the proposed mission. So we've wanted to create a, a simple mission statement that is biblical 
that means something to you and that might actually be remembered and be useful. And so that's why we just simply are talking about our mission as a church being transformation in Jesus. And we want to be a church that's all about that. That we can continually be asking ourselves, am I being transformed? And then everything that we're involved in in the church, from a one-on-one ministry to a larger group ministry, is always asking that question, is transformation happening in my life? Is it happening in the lives of the people I'm serving with? Is it happening in the lives of people we're serving? And for that to be the motivation behind everything we do, are being transformed in Jesus. That's what it's all about, and that's the kind of church that we want to be. And so in order to walk out that mission, we've suggested these four discipleship steps. And so that's what Darren and I have been teaching on the last few weeks. So I started a few weeks ago with a message on create community. We looked in Acts chapter 2 at the early church and just that incredible community they had and how the church grew out of that community. Then we talked about experiencing and modeling Jesus' love and how we're not getting anywhere with even the greatest strategies if we don't have a base of love and, and our love for God and our love for each other, right out of the commandment. And then last week, Darren taught us on step number three, train one another in obedience. And just as Jesus had said in his great commission, make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, baptizing them, empowering them, and equipping. That is what we do for each other. So Training one another to obedience isn't just when a pastor or a preacher or a teacher gives you information. But no, it's when we're involved in each other's lives to spur one another on to love and good deeds. To spur one another on in what is the scripture saying? What are we learning? How are we growing? And whether that be one-on-one relationships or small groups, it's so important in discipleship that we are training one another, that we are iron sharpens iron, that we're, that we're involved in each other's lives to spur each other on, encourage each other. We just desperately need that. So that's step number three. And now today, we're going to focus on step number four. And that's serve others and proclaim the gospel. And let me just say that these discipleship steps, they're not meant to be sort of a linear, do this, do this, do this, do this. They're actually meant to be cyclical, meaning that a discipling community should be thinking about and having all of these things kind of happening. And and, and anytime you see any one of them being weak, it's like, let's focus on that discipleship step and work on it more. But I'd suggest to you that when we are constantly working on these discipleship steps, they become the groundwork for us actually fulfilling this mission that we have, transformation in Jesus, fulfilling Jesus' great commission and great commandment. So, serve and proclaim the gospel. So, next slide. Did any of you ever have one of these? (laughs) All right, if you have no idea what this is, this is the WWJD bracelet. That acronym stands for What Would Jesus Do? And this was kind of like what I would probably call a Christian Christian marketing technique of the 90s (laughs) when everyone had these bracelets. So no one's admitting to having a WWJD bracelet. Okay, thank you, some of you did, I know. I did too, even though I liked to mock the Christian marketing. Anyway, so as I thought about this slogan, what would Jesus do? And, you know, thought, again, it's probably just some kind of 90s, early 2000s Christian marketing scheme, which I'm sure it was. But as I actually looked into this, what was really interesting to me, that this slogan actually dates back to 1897. And this slogan and this idea of WWJD, what would Jesus do, came from a pastor named Charles Sheldon 
1897 in a book he wrote called In His Steps. So as I dug a little deeper, I found that uh, this author was, was a pastor at that time, and he was a pastor during the early years of what was called the social gospel. Anyone here my age or older ever heard of the social gospel? Yeah, yeah, I know some of you have. Now, the social gospel, according to historians, was a movement that was basically between the years 1890 and 1930. And, um, yeah, for some of you, you're going, okay, have no clue what you're even talking about. And yet for some of you who are my age or older, you're going, hmm, I've heard about that social gospel thing and pretty much everything in you is having negative thoughts right now. That's okay. Let's, let's explore this some more. Now here's, here's one quote from a historian author that talks about that era of the social gospel. They describe it this way. Movement leaders, this is on the next slide, movement leaders took Jesus' message, love thy neighbor, into pulpits, published books, and lectured across the country. Other leaders, mostly women, ran settlement houses designed to alleviate the suffering of immigrants. Their mission was to draw attention to the problems of poverty and inequality. So that's one take on what, what was a key part and heart of what was called the social gospel at that time. Now, evangelicals were definitely a part of that movement, and and that, that movement was also very important in North America and Britain with the abolition of child labor, and it even, even was instrumental in developing the eight-hour work day and 40-hour work week. So there was very much a social conscious of that Christianity needed to deal with the problems of society and culture. To alleviate that, that was a part of the Christian gospel and what it meant to be a Christian, and that's what they were very passionate about. Now, predating... That, that social gospel movement would have been the, the rise of evangelicalism. And that, that root of evangelicalism would be where our church would be in the, in the spectrum of, of the church movement. And that would have been like a 19th, 20th century explosion of churches basically across Western Europe and North America. Now, one, one really cool story from early evangelicalism involves a gentleman named William Wilberforce. Now, if you watched the movie a number of years ago called Amazing Grace, it was an incredible movie that told his story. But William Wilberforce was a British member of parliament who became a Christian and became an evangelical Christian at that time. And he wanted to quit politics to pursue ministry, but he was convinced to stay in politics to make a difference. And the evangelicals at that time were very, very much wanting to bring changes and, um, and bring social goodness of what the message of Jesus would be to help with so many issues of, of the culture of that time. So what William Wilberforce is famous for was what's now known as the Slave Trade Act of 1807. So this gentleman, along with um, many Christians that supported him, through a long, long fight, were able to abolish slavery in the British Empire. Now it took took a couple hundred years or a hundred years after that for America to follow suit. But it's a very incredible story of, of this man who, because of his Christian conviction, because of his love for the gospel, wanted to see a difference in his culture and society. And that's what he gave his life to. So William Wilberforce is famous for this quote. It's on the next slide. When, when he said, You may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again, that you did not know. Hmm. That's a tough one for all of us, isn't it? 
We live in an era where internet and social media can show us everything, including all the pain and suffering all around the world in an instant. And it's so hard to look sometimes, isn't it? It's easier to just look the other way. And yet if he's right, we can choose to look the other way, but you can't say you didn't know. It's very convicting for me. So, with that background to your evangelical background and this little bit of controversy over the social gospel era of the church, why is that so controversy, controversial or seemingly negative to us evangelicals? Now, I want to suggest to all of us today that in this discipleship step of serve and proclaim the gospel, that both are equally important. I would like to suggest to you that right from the early church and all through the history of Christianity, that the gospel is always both. Serving and proclaiming are both crucial to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, not only would I suggest to you emphatically that biblically and culturally and historically, it's both, I'd also suggest that it's also been a pendulum swing. And I've, I've already seen the pendulum swing um, through my lifetime many times. So whether it would have been the swing of the social gospel movement to, to the deeds or the good works or the social gospel or the social justice side of things to then the rise of, of crusades and Billy Graham and Campus Crusade that, that took us to the, the proclaim and, and give the word of the gospel. And all through church history, there's been somewhat of that pendulum swing but I don't think it's ever meant to be one or the other. It's always meant to be both to truly be the gospel. So with that, with that tension in mind, that tension, is it evangelism or is it justice? Why does social justice become such a bad-sounding word in evangelical circles? Well, consider this quote from a prominent evangelical leader. He says this, evangelicalism's newfound obsession with the notion of social justice is a significant shift. And I'm convinced it's a shift that is moving many people, including some key evangelical leaders, off message and onto a trajectory that many other movements and denominations have taken before. Now, I would assume that many of you, many of us, would share the concerns of this quote. And I would agree that if social justice and that movement becomes an obsession, there's a problem. However, I also have to wonder to myself is, is my apathy or my avoidance of the social justice and the social ills in my country and culture any more or less prob problematic? I have to ask myself that question. What's interesting to me as I looked into our Mennonite Brethren Confession of Faith is there's actually an article that addresses our position as a church somewhat on this matter. So that's on the next slide. This is from article, article number 12 of the MB Confession of Faith. Oh, and it's not there. So you'll have to listen closely. This is what it says. Christians cooperate with others in society to defend the weak, care for the poor, and promote justice, righteousness, and truth. Believers witness against corruption, discrimination, and injustice, exercise social responsibility, pay taxes, and obey all laws that do not conflict with the word of God. 
That's Article 12 of the MB Confession of Faith. I wish you could see it. It's a pretty powerful confession. And I would suggest to you, once again illustrates, that proclaiming the gospel has always been both. It's always been the spoken dimension and the lived dimension. Word and deed. So, that's a little bit of the context of all of this. So, what about the biblical picture? What do the scriptures teach us about this? We'll start with the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew word, um, don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but mispat, which is translated as justice 115 times in the Old Testament. Now, this, this Hebrew word literally means rectifying or restoring justice where it has been lost. And there's many, many examples, especially through all the prophets, where they talk about injustice and the need for justice in the land. One great example is Micah 6.8. I don't remember when Dave Wheeler shared his testimony a few weeks ago. He quoted this verse, and and it's an awesome verse. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Very, very powerful. Now, if you study the prophets in the Hebrew Old Testament, a, a theme that occurred all the time was this theme of justice. And in fact, the prophets would suggest that one of the big, biggest reasons that Israel was judged and sent into exile was that they allowed injustice to reign in the land. And rather than being a, a people that were after Yahweh's heart, that would be a light to the Gentiles and that would actually care about the poor and the marginalized and protect people and promote justice within their society, they sadly did the opposite. And the prophets often talked about how that became the demise of the nation. So there's a, so there's a stern warning in reality. And so before we get you know, offended or or a little uneasy because of the way justice is being used in our culture today, let's not forget that it's a biblical word. That's where the roots come from, and that God has always been incredibly concerned that his creation be treated and ministered to justly, especially by his people. So that's kind of the context from the Old Testament. Now, moving on to Jesus. So... This passage here before you is Luke chapter 4. So Jesus was going to synagogue, and as part of the ritual going to synagogue, as a Jewish man, he would be given some some of the scripture to read. So Jesus was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and Jesus opens up the scroll of Isaiah, and this is what he reads. He reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It would have been an incredible moment to be there. So when you consider what Jesus declared his mission to be as the son of God bringing the kingdom of God to this world, what was his mission? What was the gospel that Jesus was about to proclaim? Was it about meeting physical needs or was it about meeting spiritual needs? Well, you're all sitting there going, well, of course, Don, it's both, right? But see it in the scripture that that was Jesus's not only heart and passion, but it's what Jesus lived out both meeting physical needs 
spiritual needs, all needs of people is proclaiming the gospel. And that's the kind of gospel that Jesus proclaimed. Sorry to get to my my right spot here. (laughs) All right, so um, more New Testament, and that's where we'll go to James chapter 2. Now, in James chapter 2, this is often a text that is discussed in terms of thinking about what salvation means. Think about it now in this discussion today of serving and proclaiming the gospel. So this is what James has to say, James 2, starting at verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is only one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. I don't know about you, but every time I read that verse, I do shudder. Because it's a tough text, right? You know, so often, and especially I would say we in evangelicalism, we so much understand salvation as getting the facts right getting the right beliefs in line. And if you get the facts right, know the right things, pray the right prayer, do the right things, you're in, you're saved. And we get so focused on that. And so this always is such a rebuke to me because James is saying, yeah, the demons all know that and believe that too. And shudder. James gives a very compelling word to what the whole gospel really means from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective. I love this, this uh, quote. hope this one's on here, yeah, by church planter and uh, um, theologian Michael Frost. He says this, I'd like us to recover the biblical idea that word and deed are independent activities of the church. Or, sorry, let's read that again. I'd like us to recover the biblical idea that word and deed are interdependent activities of the church. Instead of evangelism and justice being seen as opposing each other on a seesaw, think of them as two interlocking clogs. As you crank one clog, it sets the other one in turning as well. I think that's exactly what James is talking about. So, discipleship number, step number four. Serve and proclaim the gospel. So, how do, we, how do we respond to this from the scriptures today and as we want to be a discipling community and grow in being disciplers and being disciples ourselves? Well, a few things to respond to today. Can I ask and suggest, as I've been saying over and over again, that serving or justice and proclaiming or evangelism are partners. They're both the gospel. Can I ask you, church, please, let's not... Let this divide us. Let's not let this divide us. Affirm those who are passionate about social justice and then remind them the message and truth of Jesus in Scripture needs to be present in all of that. But let's not let 
that divide us. Let's remember what the gospel is all about. Let's not let it divide us, and can I encourage us to? Let's stay out of the ditches. I would suggest to you that, you know, the ditch of social justice can be the obsession and the fanaticism that can sometimes come when it's, when it's overzealously approached. That's a ditch to avoid. But I would also suggest that the ditch of evangelism that treats people like projects is a ditch to be avoided as well. Let's stay out of the ditches and remember what the gospel is, this beautiful, transforming power of Jesus that he's entrusted us to share and to live. So I encourage us that way. You know, our witness as a church in our community will often have a lot to do with how we treat people and how we seem to care about and engage in our community. You've probably heard the saying many times that people, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so we have to ask ourselves, we can stand up here and say, we want to proclaim the gospel in swift. But if we're seen as people that don't really care about our community and can just turn away from the things that we don't like to see, it's not really the kind of testimony that gives the full gospel of serving and proclaiming this gospel. So I, I encourage us with that, but I also want to encourage you as a congregation that I see all over this desire, and it's, and it's in so many different places. You know, I see how you love your camp and how much you serve and proclaim the gospel through the ministry of our camp. That's beautiful and it's wonderful. I know that there's lots of people in this church that are connected to MCC in various ways and in terms of, of wanting, to, wanting to give and wanting to serve. I know we have quilters that spend hours making quilts in order to help the poor and the needy. I know we have people that invest in other ministries like that. I know we have farmers that give portion of their land and crop towards feeding the hungry into missions. And I, I know that desire is there. Jana got up here this morning and was wanting to encourage us to do more outreach in the church. She's tried to get some of us to volunteer at the center where she and others work. And I just commend your work there, Jan, and others that, that work at the center. Like these are the kinds of ministries that, that we connect with and touch on. And I guess the encouragement as being disciples and being disciplers is this needs to become more a part of our lives, right? And I know that that's our heart's desire. So be encouraged by some and be encouraged that God's calling us to more. And I think, I think you know what I'm talking about. That's, that's how we can, we can respond today. And you know, beyond those kinds of things, often perhaps the number one mission field of all of our lives is just our relational community, the people that, that are in our lives. And so your work community, the, the community of people that you do sports with or you have common hobbies and our hobby or interest clubs with, family groups, whatever kind of groups you're in where you're with people, that's when we have that opportunity to serve and proclaim the gospel. Now, you know, as I, as I thought about this, something that I was really challenged and convicted on was the idea of this question. Am I present with people? I'm actually present with people and close enough to people that I can see when God's working and actually then be available when the Holy Spirit says, 
now is the time to speak. See, if we think of evangelism as some, like, cold call, going door to door, meeting strangers on the street, not that that can't happen and be beneficial, and there are some that would be gifted and would do that, and God could do amazing things through that. Sure. But most of the time, getting to proclaim the gospel, getting to proclaim what Jesus has done in our lives, comes because we have a relationship with people. And we're actually present enough with them and close enough to see when God's at work. And I think when we, when we notice when God's at work, it's when the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to say, now, now's the time to say this. Now's the time to share this. And when the Holy Spirit is the one that's been preparing the heart, that's what we're waiting for. It's not just our zeal to do it, but it's obedience to the way the Spirit's working. And that so often happens relationally. Let me illustrate this through one of my favorite scriptures, which is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. I think that's the next slide as well. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I love this, and yet it's also deeply convicting. Because here's why. It says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope you have. See, the tough question for me is, I have to ask myself, am I, the li- am I living the kind of life and being present with people enough that there might actually even be people that would notice and say, Don, you have a lot of hope in your life. This Jesus thing you're into seems to be really real for you. What's with that? I have to ask myself, do I live enough of a compelling life being present with people that someone would even ask? Wow, that's convicting for me pretty easy for me to just live in the bubble of church people and family. And yet this scripture says, be prepared. Be prepared to give an answer when asked because there's hope in you. Not because you think you want to out-truth someone or give someone what they need to know, but that out of love, out of deep care for people, to be able to say, this is what Jesus has done for me, and they've noticed something. And you have the opportunity to share that because it's real in you. That's what he's talking about. And doing it with gentleness and respect. So, as we walk in these discipleship steps, serve and proclaim the gospel. It's both. As we can be in a posture, a simple posture of saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm open. Where do you want to use me? Show me people that I can love and serve. Show me people that I can be present enough with to have opportunity to share what you're doing in my life. It can be that as you go, make disciples simple, profound, and transformational. Can we aspire and pray and long to be that, those kind of people? Can I ask the worship team to come and, come and join me? I asked them to, to, uh, to do a song that I forget what it's called again. Christ is Enough. There we go. And, and the song, it's a beautiful song that declares how much we need Jesus and his sufficiency for us. But the line that really hit me in this song is, in, it's in the bridge, and it actually plays back to a really old song that some of you will remember. 
but we sing in the bridge, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. Let's make this our prayer today. I know we can all feel, I hope, inspired and somewhat convicted in a message like this. But can I encourage you to see this as invitation? The best thing that's happened to us, Jesus has transformed our life, forgiven us, given us the most amazing hope and message. And we have the opportunity to serve it and to live it and to proclaim it. That's the beauty of it. So let's make this our prayer. I have decided to follow Jesus, to truly be a disciple. No turning back. Let's sing and worship.